I mean, I, I have serious questions about whether it was in violation of some of Joe Nathan James' due process rights. I mean, his, his rights to representation um, and certainly in violation of the Eighth Amendment, uh, you know, the protections against cruel and unusual punishment that we all have as Americans. But, um, you know, it certainly raises serious questions for me about what access he had to the courts. All righty, boys and girls. Man, you know, you know what? We're charging. We're going we're gonna to charge for this one. We, we need to figure out a pay process so that people can't listen to this quality of a podcast without paying <laughs> paying us something i mean because oh my god this is it's gonna be one of the best you've ever heard uh yeah. we've uh, got uh, the atlantic's uh, liz bruni gonna join us to talk about uh viewing the the uh, ex uh, the torture uh seeing the torture firsthand of joe nathan james mm. um at uh, uh, during the the autopsy that was performed on his body after the execution he went through at the hands of our Department of Corrections in this state and uh, and you know it's uh, it it'll be it'll be something uh, but hey listen this is uh, Alabama politics this week I'm uh, Josh Moon and uh, the person that makes the whole thing go my podcast wife yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. What? <laughs> as, as Seinfeld would say, not that there's anything wrong with that. Right, However, right, right. Yeah. I, I think I, I don't think that's probably the you're best not going way with to that? describe me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Listen, if you're not going Pod, with that, that's fine. Podcast brother. Okay. Podcast brother. My yeah. podcast brother. Podcast. Although brother. that sounds like I'm being a little racist. Yeah. Honestly. No. I mean, it's, no. 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 Yeah. no. All, right. All right. My podcast brother is David Person. There we go. There we go. Okay. Um, but listen, we're going to start uh, here before we get to, to that uh, horror show. Uh, we're going to start with the other horror show <laughs> that mm. unfolded uh, last uh, Saturday in Birmingham. Uh, that was the Alabama Democratic Party's uh, annual meeting in which they elected a new uh, chairperson of the party. And um, uh, as as my favorite football coach of all time, L.C. Cole, used to say, out with the old and in with the old. Uh, Mm. So uh, and and so we we had we got rid of uh, Chris England, uh, who decided not to run again and replaced him with Randy Kelly, who was is essentially the same thing as saying we replaced him with Joe Reed. So it took Joe Reed roughly three years uh, and a little bit of math to regain control of this party uh, that he was ousted from, that it was going to be a new day for the Democrats. This is a new Alabama Democratic Party. We're going forward. There's no stopping us now until three years from now. Um, and uh, so, listen, you I don't. I don't dislike Joe Reed. I thought we've said this many, many times yeah. here. Uh, yeah. That we we feel roughly the same about Joe Reed. That there was probably time for a change at the top of the party when this whole thing took over because things had become so stagnant and we were uh, losing elections so often. But at the same time, uh, you can say that and still appreciate the man. Uh, that was in control of the Democratic caucus, um, uh, the the Black caucus, uh, and uh, and his political mind. Um, and, and I have, I've 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 watched Joe Reed 
be pushed out of power and regain power so many times in so many settings, uh, whether it be the Montgomery City Council, whether it be the Alabama State University Board of Trustees, whether it be uh, the Alabama Democratic Party, the AEA, the you know, he is masterful at this game. I mean, he is. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. There, there are a few people that could take a defeat like that and say, all right, watch uh, mm-hmm. and 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 actually pull it off, uh, have the willpower and the smarts to pull it off. And um, so he did. Uh, now, where where I struggle and I'd like to get your thoughts about this, because this right. is where I, where I struggle here is this. There don't need to be any more fights among Democrats here because you're you're basically fighting on the deck of the Titanic at this point. You know, I mean, you're you're really uh, the the women and children are in the lifeboats now, and y'all are up on the deck fight. Um, and I I think I fear that what we're going to get is just more fighting. Uh, as they try to rewrite the bylaws, as they try to kick out the old, uh, the people that have been, that were ushered in in leadership and in uh, various positions within the party over the last three years. Um, and, and I just, I kind of fear that what we're in for is a few years here now of more wasted time when they don't, you know, they're on the verge of death. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, first, let me say that I agree with your column uh, that you wrote, I think it was a week or so ago, in which mm-hmm. you said that uh, the infighting needs to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. It needs to stop. Um, I also think that that we've got to recognize you know there's a there's a there's a there's a phrase uh, that we use in the black community. Game, recognize game. You know, mm-hmm. we got to recognize Joe Reed, as you just said, is masterful at politics. Yeah. You can love him. You can hate him. You can disagree with him. You can take whatever position you want on him. But what you but what you must do, I think, if you're going to be intellectually honest, is recognize the skill set that the man has. And and it seems to me that the prevailing mindset at this point ought to be not, oh my God, Joe Reed is in control again. You know, everything is about to go to hell in a handbasket. Instead, the prevailing mindset ought to be, this guy is cunning. He's smart. First of all, let's give Randy Kelly and Tabitha Eisner, and if you want to put Joe Reed in there, Joe Reed, an opportunity to lay out their agenda before we start attacking them. Secondly, let's those those who feel that there's something to worry about, who have those who have these deep down concerns, which I, I'm not going to say are I'm not going to invalidate those concerns, because you know, quite honestly, um, you know, the Democratic Party was in trouble has been in mm-hmm. trouble for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and Mr. Reed certainly had uh, a, a role in that trouble, as did a lot of other people, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would say if you, you know, people on the other side 
whoever that is, Doug Jones and whoever else, they ought to gather themselves together as a collective and start strategizing about not how to defeat Joe Reed or stymie Joe Reed or or even attempt what was attempted some years ago, which is to create another Democratic Party. You know, you remember when Justice uh, Kennedy tried to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, no, let's not do all those things. Negotiate with him. I mean, negotiate with him. Try to figure out how you can leverage your influence to talk to, to Mr. Reed and, and Pastor Kelly and Tabitha Eisner and and create a Democratic Party that's going to work for everybody. Yeah. But, but to me, just as you said, uh, Josh, more fighting is not the solution. Neither is, you know, going woe is me and throwing up your hands the solution. Because we got to remember, and this is my final thought here, the alternative holds no benefits for people who truly believe in women's rights, LGBTQ rights, minority rights, equality, diversity, these things that are core values that we say as Democrats are core values for us. Well, there ain't no room for that on the other side. Mm -hmm. That's pretty clear. They've made that pretty clear. The other side is sold out to Trump. Mm -hmm. That's pretty clear. In Mm -hmm. Alabama, at least, they're sold out to Trump. And... And they're not going to defend the values that are that are dear to our hearts. So we got to figure out how to make this thing work. Yeah, um, you know that's um, everything he says. One hundred percent true. Uh, as, you know, I think I pointed out in the column as this was happening with the Democratic the meeting uh, a few miles away in in Montgomery, the Republicans were meeting and they were swearing loyalty to Trump. Uh, you know, and saying that taking classified documents out of the uh, out of the White House and keeping them for God knows what reason and uh, being uh, suspected of espionage uh, was something that they were totally in support of. Uh, in addition to uh, wanting to close uh, primaries uh, to make sure that you know they squeezed out any input from uh, from people who weren't of like mind uh, of the most extreme people in the party. Um, and, you know, and, and we've seen them. I mean, they're, they're responsible for the current abortion law that's in place that the overwhelming majority of this state is, is dislikes to an amazing degree. Um, so, you know, you are the alternative here, you know, I mean, you, you are, you're, you're what, you could be what the people want. You could be, you could be the, listen, it's wide open. Every lane is wide open. The law and order party. You could be them. Look at all the Republicans in jail. I That's mean, my right. God, you know, right. um, look at what they've done to ethics. Look at what they've done uh, to pollution. Look at what they've done with education. Look at what they've done with health care. Look at, look around you, you know, the, the, the same rich white people are getting richer while you're all going to work every day and you're in the same spot. So mm-hmm. what, how is your life better? And I, and if we cannot translate that, that reality, all I said, so you don't have to make, you don't have to make anything up. All you've got to do is just force people to turn their head and look into the reality of their daily lives in this state. That's all you have to do is force people to look at the reality. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, part of that is going to require uh, breaking through this mindset of, uh, you know, team politics where people are just voting for a damn team and not even worrying about who the candidates are. Right. Um, you know, and, and it's going to require putting up candidates that people relate to and agree with and stopping this nonsense. And, you know, I, he's, he's a friend of mine and I hate to bring him up a lot uh, on here, but I'll tell you the winning strategy for the Alabama Democratic Party. And you can see it in what he does all the time is what Anthony Daniels does and how he behaves himself and how he works on things. And how he, he he behind the scenes works quietly to build coalitions with with folks with, to give money. He, I I would bet you he's raised more money than anybody uh, out there uh, for his candidates that he has in the house. Um, he has look at the candidates that he's running uh, right now. I mean, I, I would say the people that he's encouraged encouraged to run in districts that are winnable uh, right now. You you can't you can't beat those candidates. As a matter of fact. Who else has convinced white Democrats to run? Mm. You know, yeah. I mean, who who else has done this? And and listen, I, I'm no in no way, shape or form trying to tell you that white Democrats are preferable uh, to black Democrats in any way. Not that is not the intent. My uh, all I'm saying is, is that if we're if the party is going to grow, there is going to have to be some buy in from Folks who look and think like me, yeah, uh, you know, well, people yeah. that that say, "Listen, I, I don't, I ain't got to vote Republican just because I'm white in this damn state, or you know, because mm-hmm. all my white friends do this. This is right. What's what they're saying is right, you know." Yeah. And yeah. that's, uh, you know, I, I think that that's a, a big key to this thing. And I mean, and so I think if, and, and I'll say also that that Daniels has ignored a lot of the back and forth on things, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, he's not out front talking bad about other Democrats. He's not mm-hmm. out there, you know, in these little petty fights all the time about stuff. It, it's, it's work, you well, know, I'm, it does yeah, work. I've never heard Anthony uh, say anything bad publicly about another Democrat. So, I mean, that, no. that is to his credit. And I agree with you that he's, uh, he's been extremely effective as uh, not only as house minority leader, and as a legislator, but uh, as a uh, but I think it just in terms of his vision, uh, strategic vision for the party, you know, I think he's been very effective. Now, mm-hmm. I want to I got to push back uh, not against you and not against Anthony, but you, you brought up this this point, uh, this virtue of Anthony's when you, you said he doesn't talk bad about uh, speak ill of, of Democrats publicly. Mm-hmm. Uh there's someone who has been <laughs> and 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 this someone is somebody that I know I know him you know um you know uh, uh, you know we we uh, was just at his house for a fundraising event oh yes yeah. and uh this is uh this is dr Parker Griffith, and I bring this up because um and and let me say let me let me well let me just put it out on the table and then I'll I'll frame it a little bit. Uh, no. Par- Parker, um, Parker's most recent statements 
about uh, about Democrats after this in this post-election uh, uh, ADP election have been, I think, are very problematic. Um, mm-hmm. He publicly said on a radio station that is basically a mouthpiece for the Republican Party in this state. He said that uh, that uh, Pastor Randy Kelly, who is now the new uh, chair of the Democratic Party in Alabama, he said is basically uh, representing a black power uh, kind of mindset. And he's saying that because uh, uh, Pastor Kelly is uh, is the vice chair of the Alabama Democratic Caucus. You know that. Uh, so, in other words, he he works along with uh, with Mr. Joe Reed at uh, at the caucus. So Parker characterized them on a Republican stronghold media outlet as a black power entity. Mm-hmm. Now, that's problematic for a number of reasons. One, because it's, in my opinion, is patently false. I don't believe the ADC subscribes to what we would traditionally call black power politics. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, it's also a problem because I think invoking that sort of imagery is a way to play to the fears of mm-hmm. and biases of white voters. They yes. hear black power. They think about, you know, black men with guns who want to take over society, you know, or, or some other, mischaracterization yeah. uh and and I stress that the a mischaracterization of what the black power movement even actually was which by the way started in Lowndes County and yep. um, and even as it as it spread across the country uh you know taking up arms in self defense which by mm-hmm. the way the NRA uh endorses mm-hmm. by the way uh it was not uh, their prime or sole function uh, the Black Panthers and others uh, were doing uh, feeding programs in communities and and doing other things, but 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 I want to push back on the characterization also for this reason, and and this will be my final point. Let's not forget the America that existed when the Black Power movement uh, was formulated. Yes. Let's not forget that lynchings had been a defining act of racial terror promulgated by white terrorist racist groups like the KKK and others for decades. Let's not forget that we were living, uh, well, I say we, I wasn't really alive then, Josh wasn't alive then, but, but uh, black people were living uh, in the under the under the the uh, bloody violent auspices of Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. Rape of black women was routinely used to terrorize black women and their families. Uh, you know, there were all of these things that were in existence that helped to uh, that fomented. The, the rise of the black power movement. So to just throw black power out there like some boogeyman is intellectually disingenuous and it's just plain damn inaccurate. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. I want to, I have to push back on that um, because I think, again, Josh, to go to your point, um, that sort of rhetoric and to mm-hmm. do that and to do that on a, on a, a, again, a Republican mouthpiece radio station, all it does is, is create more infighting mm-hmm. in the Democratic Party. And it feeds the suspicions and fears of non-democratic whites in particular. And it doesn't advance us at all as a party. No, uh, it sure sure doesn't. Um, You know, that, um, you know, I I, I don't want to say I understand Parker Griffith in any way, shape or form here. That's not what I'm saying. I, I know what his references were. Uh, and who and some of the people that he he dealt with uh, on, on some of these things. And now I think that what he did was despicable. Uh, and and but that this has been his mo for a while. I think that you know going on these things and doing this was uh, is, is absurd. Um, uh, I now that having said that, I do think that there were some people when the whole ousting happened of Joe Reed. They turned that into a racial situation where there was not race involved uh, in that. It was a, simply a matter of bad management at the top of things. That's what got Joe Reed, you know, uh, they wanted to move Joe Reed out, out of the position of power. Uh, and there were a lot of people that took on this. I Well, here comes white Doug Jones and this, you know, and you know, the white savior of the party sort of thing. And that was, I, you know, I, I spoke to Doug Jones about this. That was never his mindset about anything. Uh, he felt like he was doing uh, the party a favor uh, there. And, and particularly he felt as though he was uh, more uh, uh, more aligned in a minority sense uh, with what the overall goal should be here, in which there are uh, there are multiple minority factions now uh, of this party, um, and you know the idea though that you would then frame what those people took offense to at that time, you know the the loyalists to Joe Reed and and the uh, ADC, that you would frame that in a black power. Shut up. You know, that's not what they were saying. They, they were angry that that power for their caucus had been diluted. Uh, and a lot of those folks are from the time period that you mentioned, uh, that they went through those struggles to get to that level of input and things. And so I understand the, uh, you know, I understand why why they're so offended and why they, they felt as though they were under attack and why they felt they were so concerned about their power being diluted. I don't think that's what was happening. I think it was misconstrued. Uh, and I think some the, some people played upon those old feelings. But in no way, shape or form was this a a black power thing. And I and I, not once has anybody ever made me as a white person feel unwelcome, not Joe Reed, not anybody in the Joe Reed faction or anybody else. Have they ever made me feel like I was not welcome because I'm a white guy? Uh, So if, if you're complaining because your stupid ideas, and that's what a lot of Parker Griffith's ideas are. I mean, come let's be honest. I mean, you know, the, the things that he did were, did not have not advanced the party in a long time. And, you know, and his ideas for stuff, uh, this, you know, middle of the road game that he wants to play with Republicans a lot of the times, it, it hadn't advanced things any. 
And, uh, you know, so that's why a lot of his stuff gets rejected is because it's not workable. And that's all. Yeah, that's the reason why he's angry, I think. So here's what I'll say about Parker. I've I've been in a number of conversations with him over the past few years as part of uh, uh, as as in my role as a board member of Persistence Pack. And Mm -hmm. I'll say this about Parker. Um, I think Parker has, um, I think he has moments of real, um, insightful clarity when it comes to politics. I also think he has moments where, whether it's due to ego or whatever you want to attribute it to, I don't know. He says things that are just um, unnecessarily provocative and inflammatory. Yeah. That's really what I think. And and so I think. I agree with that. Yes. Kind of have this, this really, so, so it's a combustible mix, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the sort of thing that, um, you know, when he's on point, you know, you sit there and you're like, well, Doggone, that's a really good point. And then there are other times when you're sitting there and thinking, my God, I don't believe you said that. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. um, you know, I just, I've, I've, I, my position really is, I think, I, I wish, you know, I don't, it, it bugs the heck out of me that he has openly, publicly been endorsing Katie Britt since, the, since before the primary, okay? Yeah. That bugs me. It bugs me that he would characterize Pastor Kelly as being a, a part of a black power uh, mm-hmm. uh, coup of the of the Alabama Democratic Party. That bugs the heck out of me. But I will say, um, I think it, if he, you know, whatever opinions he has, you know, he has a right to his opinions. But it, I think the most egregious thing is that. He goes to the Republican right wing outlets to vent. Yeah. Because that that really says to me, makes me really question what's the agenda here? Mm-hmm. Why are you saying to, to get all attention? This yeah, to get attention. That's what he wants is attention. And I, listen, yeah. I, I agree with, with uh, Parker on, on probably 90% of things, you know, the ideals, you know, political beliefs and things like that. I, I mm-hmm. We probably agree on almost everything. Uh, I don't agree with what, how he, how he behaves a lot of the time and how he, and you're right. I mean, just the simple thing of where he's doing this and where he's saying it is, you know, it's, it's not serving it. It's self-serving. That's, that's the problem. It's self-serving and that's the whole goal. And, um, and that's the sort of thing that, that the party has got to move past is the self-serving nature of things and people trying to get something for themselves. All the time, all the time for themselves, uh, and, you know, because it certainly doesn't help the Democratic Party. No. And, 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 listen, and he's identifying yeah. as a Democrat. So, yes. Yeah. And th- listen, there, there are ways to do that. There are ways to go about getting something for yourself while you help the party as well. OK. Mm. And that's what people have got to start striving for. How can I do A and B together? Uh, and, and stop this, well, I'm going to get mine and then we'll worry about it. You know, that's got to stop, uh, you know, for a while, uh, you know, maybe you can do, there are a lot of Republicans who are doing that now, but they can afford to do it. 
Uh, so, you know, it's, it's got to be better. It's got to be better uh, or the super majority that forces in the abortion law that we ha- currently have yeah. on people is going to stay there. And, you know, uh, and they'll continue to gerrymander and they'll draw their districts and eliminate competition and uh, eliminate good candidates and good representation. And, you know, listen, there is nobody in no one unbiased in this state right now who would tell you that Terry Sewell is not the best uh, congressperson from the state of Alabama, the hardest working, the person that returns the most to their district. There is nobody who would deny that, who is unbiased. He, he, I'm like, there are Republicans out there that, that have told me this, that they're worried. They don't understand what the hell Mike Rogers and Gary Palmer and Robert Adderhole, what the hell they're even doing. You know, they, they can't call them. They don't know where they're at. They don't do anything half the time. So, you know, so that's what we've got to get back to, though, is we've got to figure out a way to get more Terry Sewells out there working for people. And, yeah. you know, so. All right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Let's, yep. Yep. Uh, I, I, I agree with you. We need to get more hardworking Congress people, regardless of party. Yes. You know? And, um, who care and, about uh, people? Who care yeah. about the people of their district? And do you know? That's why I said, I said something the other day about Terry Sewell and the job fair thing. You know, yeah. who else does a job fair like that? She's been doing yeah. it for eleven years now. You know, yeah. eleven years, and nobody else has caught on to this. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody else has taken it up and said, "Hey, that's a good idea that she's doing in her district. Let me do the same with the companies in my district." Yeah, I think it's an uh, excellent use of uh, of the resources of her office. An yes. excellent use, without yeah. question. Uh, yeah, she's uh, you know, but uh, and so the bigger point though is we got to get this going. We got to get more people in there, and and to do that, we got to stop the fighting. So, um, I know that was kind of a bit of a depressing segment, and I hate <laughs> to tell you, it's not going to get better in the next one. All right, um, so maybe we can cheer it up at the end. I don't but- know. I think it's going to be real informative, though. Oh, it's going to be very informative, yeah. and you're going to want to hear it. Um, and yeah. and well, I, I tell you what it's going to be. It's going to be rage-inducing, okay? Okay. Uh, you, yeah, you're going to walk away yeah. from it angry and wanting to do something, and I hope you do. Yes. All right. I remember that. We'll be uh, right back with the Atlantic's Liz Bruding. How uh, about politics this week? Back in the middle. I'm David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, you listen to me and Josh every week, and we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast, and I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends And also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks a lot. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person. And we are really uh, happy to have with us the Atlantic's Liz Brunig. Um, And I... I, listen, I, I have followed your work for a long time, um, and you and I actually talked about a story a while back, never really came to fruition. I wish it had, of, but we, you know, not our fault. Uh, not so yet. We, right, exactly. We, it still up. might. Yeah. 
<laughs> still might. Um, but what you did um, in the Atlantic uh, recently uh, on the execution and torture of Joe Nathan James is some of the best work that I've seen in a long time. Yes. Um, yeah. And and so we wanted to to get you on uh, and to talk about. I, I know it's had to have been a, a very very unpleasant. Um, Experience, I guess, would be the best way uh, for yourself uh, in, in viewing the autopsy of Joe Nathan James. And I, I guess, kind of, if you wouldn't mind, I know you did a little bit in the story, but kind of walk through you know, how that kind of came about. Uh, I guess, first of all, thank you for for coming on um, and, and spending the time. But it, walk through what what how this came about, what the experience was kind of like, and and, and how you ended up in that room. Yeah, I mean, the you know, so at the very beginning, you have Joel Tavote, who is a doctor who is concerned about lethal injection. The way he gets started in his journey is, you know, he's a he's an anesthesiologist. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think in around 2010, sodium thiopental disappears from the American market. Heretofore, it's been a sedative, I believe, that is used by anesthesiologists. But it was also part of the standard pre-drug lethal injection cocktails that were used in a lot of lethal injection protocols, especially relatively early on. Mm -hmm. Um, And as a result, the European Union banned its export to the United States because it was being used in lethal injections here. And uh, with that, I think the Italian supplier just stopped producing it because they're really wasn't a big enough market or demand for it. And then the single U.S supplier also just stopped producing it. Oftentimes for these lethal injection drugs, there are different alternatives and there's a better market for for alternatives because, you know, especially when you're looking at something like sodium thiopental, there's just more demand for other drugs. Yeah. Um, and these companies would rather not be associated with lethal injections, right? They want to be associated with drugs that make people better, not drugs that kill you. It's mm-hmm. just not good for their marketing chi. They don't like it. Um, and so they they just they back out of that. Um, and, you know, Joel, an anesthesiologist, was frustrated because this was a drug he had had in his toolkit. So he 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 looked into why that had happened and he learned that it was a result of lethal injection and he became sort of took offense almost to to lethal injection as a practice. Um, and and from that point on, became sort of focused on researching it from a physician's point of view, eventually wound up publishing some interesting research on the lungs of uh, folks who were uh, executed by lethal injection. But he had kept an eye out on this execution and he noticed that it was, you know, three hours long. And, and mm-hmm. that's, you know nobody can account for his sort of what was going on with Joe Nathan James between 6 p.m., which is when he was scheduled to be executed, and, you know, nine, which is when media witnesses can next account for what's going on with him, which is at which point he seemed essentially unconscious. That's a big question mark. What was happening during that time? You know, it it, it needs an answer. And you know, theoretically, you know, that's an answer that can be provided on autopsy. And so, you know, Joel reached out to me and we started discussing this issue. You know, it's a, it's ultimately at that point for me, a reporting challenge. Mm-hmm. How do we, you know, how do we catch up with Joe Nathan James at this point? And, you know, 
ask him what happened to the degree you can ask somebody what happened to them at that point. And to me, it seemed like the obvious answer. And to Joel, it, it, it's autopsy. You know, right. to him, a doctor, it seemed clear. Was the family open to that when you first approached them? Yes. And so so Joe Nathan James had made sure that his family had custody of his body so he wouldn't just be buried at Holman, um, which is, I think, what happens if you're unclaimed. Um, right. he, he didn't want that. And, um, you know, he was, uh, you know, someone who represented himself in some matters before court and was clearly thoughtful about, you know, being a, a prisoner on death row. And I think he was thoughtful about the possibility that something might go wrong. And he wanted mm -hmm. his family to have custody of his remains for that reason. And so, um, you know, when Jim Ransom, who had been his final attorney, got in touch with the family and said, look, you know, this obviously took a very long time. And to Jim, it hadn't sounded right that uh, Joe Nathan James hadn't said anything. In his last moments, it just didn't seem right. And, yeah. you know, I believe the way he broached it with the family was just to say, you know, it's just a way to try to answer some questions. Nobody knows what we're going to find, which was absolutely true. And, you know, from my understanding and from my interactions with them, they were very open at that point. Yeah. Um, they yeah. just they, they just wanted it to be over with. I mean, we were working on a time crunch. And that was my primary experience of this was was that it all happened really, really fast. It had to because the family wanted to lay Joe to rest because of his Muslim beliefs, right? Yes, exactly. Because of his religious beliefs and because, you know, for the family, this had been happening for a really long time. You know, your right. son is on death row or your brother is on death row. There are these appeals. You try them, you lose them. And then there's the run up to the execution, which is sort of very elaborate um, with the Supreme Court scheduling a date and then all of those appeals and trying them, losing them, uh, death watch and so on. It's hard. And yeah. I understand for, you know, from his mother's point of view, wanting it to be concluded and having some closure. Um, and so, I mean, there was also the matter of, you know, the condition of the remains, which is also uh, a time. Mm -hmm. Front, right. you know something you're working against so from the time I, you know i sort of heard about this to the time i was in the room was just a very short matter of days yeah that and what they found was essentially uh evidence of torture i mean i, I don't know of a better way to, to put it um but uh, you, you i mean i you look at what there, and I'm just a brief recounting of the. I mean, there are multiple puncture wounds. They they essentially carved up one arm uh, in that seemingly in search of veins uh, inside of it, uh, making multiple cuts and uh, and which seemed to be performed by people who had never done medical procedures before is the only thing I could think of. I'm just reading, you know, your description of of what his body, the shape his body was in, was. Is it fair to say that the people who performed the autopsy were were surprised by by what they found? So, uh, you know, Dr. DeVoe, Joel, who was in the room with me, was was terribly surprised. Um, and and Mark Edgar, the pathologist at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida, was was shocked um, by by what he saw. And both of them communicated to me that, 
you know, no medical professional should have had any trouble setting an IV line under these conditions that, uh, you know, this much difficulty setting an IV line just implied heavily that you didn't have medical professionals operating. And this is consistent with everything we've learned about um, Alabama's lethal injection protocol, which seems to only require trained Department of Corrections staff, not doctors or nurses. So this means, you know, we could be looking at nothing more than people who work for Holman Prison who have been trained by, say, a phlebotomist in a in a training session or two to set an IV line. You know, I'm not saying that's precisely what the protocol calls for because the protocol is top secret. We don't actually know the full protocol um, or or who these people are or what is required of them. All of that is covered by secrecy laws in Alabama. So we can't know, Mm. but it's it would not surprise me. Yeah. So so the um, another area of concern here uh, with this whole the handling of this whole situation is that um, uh, if I understand it correctly. Prisoners uh, or, or prisoners who are to be executed are not supposed to be sedated. Yes. And and so the. um the non-responsiveness of Mr. James suggests, certainly, I think, to just common sense, that it's possible that he had been sedated, perhaps due to what Josh was talking about—the horrific uh, attempts to uh, in- inject him. Uh, do you do you think that's a reasonable assumption or conclusion to draw? You know. I find it very hard to understand why he would have been in the condition he was evidently in. Otherwise, I have witnessed a couple of executions prior. I've certainly read lots of witness accounts of lethal injections. It's very atypical for someone to, you know, for the curtain to go up and you, the media witness watching the execution to find the person already unconscious. That has never happened to me. I've never read of it happening to anyone. there's a reason that a sedative is included in most lethal injection cocktails. It's because the person is not already sedated. There would be no reason to include a, a sedative in the lethal injection cocktail, which is to begin after the reading of the death warrant and the last words, if the person was already sedated. So, I mean, when you factor in the fact that there appear to be puncture marks in Joe Nathan James' body that aren't in the proximity of any known vein, which would imply an intramuscular injection of some kind, like a sedative, could be any medication, but a sedative would make sense in this context. And you add in the fact that he appeared unresponsive, even the Department of Corrections won't confirm that he was conscious during this procedure. You know, it begins to add up to something that looks really, really bad. And I'm going to translate, uh, Liz, I'm going to translate really bad as sinister and possibly in violation of Alabama law. And I'm going to summarize it that way because uh, it appears as though they were in the process of having a botched execution. Mm -hmm. And instead of halting and stopping and trying to uh, and trying to wait until they could resolve it, even postponing it, they decided to press on come hell or high water 
as the old folks used to say, uh, in violation of, of protocols, established protocols. Is that a fair uh, possibility to assume? I think that's a that's a fair um a fair bit of speculation based on the evidence we have. I think if you are someone who is in a situation like the one that we have surmised here, um uh you know, a thing that might occur to you is, well, what's he, what's he going to do, tell? Um from all they knew, if they, you know, he didn't have an attorney present, he didn't have any more appeals. Well, was, you know, an important point here is he was his own attorney. He was so, pro se. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So essentially they sedated the only legal representation yes. in the room. That's a great right. point, Josh. Right. Great that's point. a that's so when you say that what they did was probably in violation of Alabama law and a DOC protocol. I mean, I, I have serious questions about whether it was in violation of some of Joe Nathan James due process rights. I mean, mm. his his rights to representation. Um, and certainly in violation of the Eighth Amendment, uh, you know, the protections against cruel and unusual punishment that we all have as Americans. But, um, you know, it certainly raises serious questions for me about what access he had to the courts. Um, there's an analogous case of Doyle Ham, um, and he did have a lawyer who was present and who was uh, quite, quite upset about what was happening to Doyle Ham. And they did call off that mm. botched execution. And Doyle Ham died of natural causes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, he was punctured like 11, 10 or 11 times as well, yes, right? Yes, quite terribly also, but yeah. they called it off. And Joe Nathan James had no lawyer present. And you can understand maybe how someone who is in a situation, as I said, like one we have sort of framed out here, this hypothetical, they might say to themselves, well, how's he going to report this? I mean, there's no attorney present. There's no right. family present. The victim's family wasn't even present. Right. So speaking of family, my final question, what recourse does the family have in in your in your assessment uh, in order to not only get to the bottom of this, but to hopefully bring this horrific situation to a just conclusion? Well, you know, there are um, litigation routes. I'm, I'm not an attorney. Um, but you know, I, I assume that there are going to be lawsuits filed by a lot of different stakeholders and parties involved in this process. And I, I can't imagine there will be a shortage of lawyers on scene if the James family wants to pursue, um, some kind of suit against the state. Um, my hope as a journalist is always that lawsuits are going to produce discovery. Um, and I hope that we just learn more about what happened to Joe Nathan James. For me, You know, I sent a very detailed request for comment to the Alabama Department of Corrections last Wednesday, over a week ago. It was an itemized email with 10 questions about Joe Nathan James execution and what we were able to glean about how it went down based on the independent autopsy. I have not heard a word from them in over a week. I have followed up several times and I will continue following up, but I, I find it shocking that they haven't responded whatsoever to this well, investigation they'll they'll, uh, they'll need to know what your skirt length is first uh before they can <laughs> respond i think um, yes. um yeah, yes. you know I, i'll tell you what 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 struck me about this you know the, the story you wrote overall 
um, was I, I, I walked away from it with a sense that they treated this human being as though he was not a human being. As though they, they didn't they didn't care about. I mean, that's that's the only way you can. To me, that's the only way that you can go about carving up somebody's arm in such a manner uh, that they did to him is that you didn't, you didn't, I mean, they were just like they were searching. I don't know where is the vein. I don't know. Let's just keep cutting until we find something, um, you know, and I, he was dead I, already I, to them, Josh. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and that's, I think you're right. It, it, who's he going to tell was, it was a good way to put it. And, and they saw him as something less than human. Um, and I, one, one thing that I, I wanted, I did want to ask you about though, uh, you said you mentioned in there that they someone felt as though he had had tears in his skin from the restraints. Well, yes. what what was that? What was that from? I mean, what what was the description of that? So if you think about the arm in which a cut down was attempted, that cut down is um, someone using some kind of instrument. And I, I can't imagine what it was because I can't imagine why any sort of lethal injection team that was outfitted to insert an IV catheter would have a scalpel or something. But anyway, mm -hmm. some kind of cutting instrument was used to cut into his arm to attempt to locate a vein with the naked eye. Um, and while that was happening, it appears Mr. James must not have been anesthetized or sedated in any way, because it appears he struggled very hard as you would if surgery was yeah. being performed on you while you were awake. And God. he was a very strong man. Hmm. And there's a strap on the gurney, you know, right uh -huh. over the bicep, more or less. It cut into and tore open his skin. Mm. Because mm. he mm. Mm. struggled so hard against what was, you know, essentially surgery being performed on him. And so mm. he was bleeding from at least two other tears, lacerations, trauma lacerations in his skin that probably happened when he was having this cut down performed. My God. And, and that's, mm. that was on the, that was the opinion of the Mayo Clinic pathologist. Mm. Well, I hope that the, the family moves forward with some level yes. of lawsuit because all of this is on mm. video somewhere. Uh, they, they have video recordings of this at, at ADOC. And, oh, yes, uh, and, of course. I yeah. have some, uh, some interesting information about that. Oh, really? What's that? Yeah. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. If I were uh, the Alabama Department of Corrections, I would be very curious what information I have about that. And I would <laughs> respond to my request for comment immediately. Mm. Uh, so you said you have you have information specifically about video um, about what the Alabama Department of Corrections did immediately after my request for comment came in at home in prison. Oh, my God. Are you serious? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, although, I, you know, and that's my, my last question here. We'll, we'll let you go because we, uh, we've, I really appreciate you coming. And, uh, but it, it's yes. it, mm. dealing with the Alabama Department of Corrections. We, we, we do this all the time. And so, uh, the secrecy, uh, the, uh, I, I, you know, the, the callousness, yes. the, the, the lack of shame. Yeah. Uh, is is almost normal. It's, it's what we've come to expect from them at this point. Um, I, and I wonder from someone who doesn't deal with it routinely, what 
struck you about this entire process and your ongoing efforts to get comments from them and to just talk to somebody about what happened when they took a human life? It's galling. I mean, it's infuriating. I'm from Texas. Um, and I mean, the thing about Alabama is it's 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 what Texas does on a less industrial scale. Right. I mean, Texas does the exact same stuff. It just does it, you know, on a conveyor belt in a factory because it's bigger, it's richer. It can do it on a much more industrial scale. And because Texas is an economic powerhouse and it's important to the national economy, there's just always been very little anybody could do about Texas. And I hate that. I find it to be bullying. I find it to be obnoxious. I find it to be an abuse of power against people who are already powerless, in some cases, literally strapped down. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's somebody who's helpless. You have no excuse for doing anything to that person. That person can't hurt you. Anything you do to that person at that point is, is an abuse of power. And I, I don't care for that. And I see it all over the place. I've never liked it. I think that is what strikes me most about this experience is just the you know, you have people who have absolute power over other human beings. They have total control over when they eat, sleep, use the bathroom, et cetera, et cetera. And they tortured someone to death with it. Well, listen, uh, I think what you've done here uh, is going to be vitally important uh, to, to this state uh, and, yes. and to the country uh, overall. And I think it's changed a lot of people's viewpoint uh, on this issue and, and specifically on what happened with Joe Nathan James. And, and, and I, I thank you for that. And uh, I know David and I both thank you for, for coming on and spending some time. I know you're busy. Uh, and uh, listen, if we can help in any way, uh, let us know. We'll be, we'll be glad to do it. And, uh, yes. and, and just thank you so much, Liz, for coming on. Thanks to you guys. Phenomenal work, Liz. Really. It really was. As Liz Bruning from the Atlantic. And if you haven't read it, go go and read the piece. And uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll put a link in with, uh, with the podcast listing uh, when it goes up and uh, make sure that people can find it pretty easily. But all right, we're going to come back. We'll uh, wrap this thing up in just a couple of minutes. Alabama politics this week. Back in a minute. everybody. If you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at uh, Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or you know, whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? Uh, shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back, uh, boys and girls. Uh, that, um, that was tough. It's a tough story, man. Um, uh, that I, it it every single day there is something that occurs with the Department of Corrections. I, I, and I'm not. I, this is 
not being hyperbolic here or as a former sports radio co-host of mine used to say, this is, I'm not trying to hyperboil this situation, um, which I don't think is right. Uh, but, um, right <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not trying to hyperboil this situation at all, but, um, I, every day, every single day, there is another, uh, just atrocity of human suffering that that happens at the hands of the Department of Corrections. And, and one of the things, I, the, another thing I didn't bring up with this that, that, that I wondered while reading her piece, but especially when she got down to the portion about Doyle Ham, um, and because he's not the only one. They also had some trouble with the, uh, the, the gentleman who was uh, executed prior to Joe Nathan James. They also had a lot, there was a long wait that was in there. I know some of it was related to Supreme Court stuff that was going on, but mm-hmm. they also had another long wait and there was, you know, some indication that there was a problem getting an IV line in. So what, what, what's going on with the nutrition of people that their veins have shrunk into their bodies? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, what, what, why, why all of a sudden can they not find veins in anybody? Or is it simply a matter of we have a bunch of poorly trained individuals yeah. who are trying to, to carry these things out? And uh, I mean, what? Why, and why is all this secret? That's the other thing. Why the yeah. hell is all this secret? Why, why is this such a top secret thing? What's going to happen? Are terrorists going to break in and try to spring this guy if we tell them, you know, what the basic process is for this? Well, what's what's hap- what's going to happen? Who, who, is there going to be an escape? Are people going to go crazy? Uh, you know, if 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 somehow or another the the execution plan is laid out. I mean, we don't have to have details. We don't need to know the names of the people who are doing it. But why can't we know that the person goes in, that a registered nurse is going to be there to to administer the IVs, that that this is going to take place, uh, you know, behind, at a certain time frame? And why is this? Why is why are these things so secret? Well, you know, we're putting a human being to death. Shouldn't the rest of us give a shit about what's happening and what the Absolutely. process is? Absolutely. And and in fact, you know, as we talk about with policing and and in other areas of uh, where government and uh, civilian life intersect, the government is supposed to be uh, better than the populace. It's supposed Mm -hmm. to hold itself to the highest possible standard. So where people are, you know, I mean, let's let's just keep it real. You know, Joe Nathan James, you know, I wrote about his, him and his situation in my last column. That guy was a was what he did was horrible. Absolutely. What he did was horrible. Absolutely. He's, he's he's no model. He was no model human being when he did what he did. Now, now, over time, he may have evolved into something better. There's reason to believe perhaps he did. Mm-hmm. You know, he converted to Islam. And uh, some of the some of the uh, reports about him suggest that maybe, you know, he had uh, become a much better man than he was when he when he uh, killed that poor woman. But nonetheless, even the worst individual should be treated with dignity by the government because the government is supposed to represent a higher standard and is supposed to represent the collective best of all Mm -hmm. of us, you know? 
So uh, I agree with you. There, there's a there's a problem with the fact that there's not transparency. There's a problem with the fact that there's not accountability. And and if there aren't, and 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 I know you, you may have experienced this too, Josh. You know when you know when I when I go to the doctor, mm-hmm. and they have to try to stick me. I mean, <laughs> I've had I've had some situations where they've had a tough time. Mm-hmm. You know, my veins seem to almost run away. It's almost like they know yeah. <laughs> needle is yeah. coming. Yeah. They just retreat. But you know, but you need trained phlebotomists or trained nurses or somebody to do that job, and it should be the government should be uh, should should as a part of just having a humane outlook. Yeah. That ought to be what it is. But yeah. but I think you're suggesting and and I and I agree that they've got poorly trained people doing this. Yeah. And and, yeah. and so it becomes this sort of horrific torture and brutalization mm-hmm. of a of a human being. Yeah, you know, you're you're right. You know, we've all had to go and get blood drawn and things like that. And you know what what's funny is is, is you'll go to a place and they'll uh, they'll look at your arm and they'll go, "Oh, I think I might have some trouble. Let's get uh, let's get Tracy out of the back. Tracy really knows what she's doing. Let's get her in here and she'll do this. She'll do it a lot better than I will." You know, and they all know because they know that you know somebody will have a little trouble. Some veins are easier than others. They know what they're doing, and so they'll uh, you know they'll they'll get somebody out there. Why can't we get Tracy? Uh, you know what I yes. mean? You know, why 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 can't we hire somebody competent and professional? And now listen, I understand the stigma uh, that must go along with such work uh, that you're going to go into a prison uh, and uh, and essentially put an IV line into a person to administer drugs that's going to cause their death. And I know a lot of people would would not be okay with that, and I understand that, and that's fine. But at the same time, I do believe that there are a number of people out there who would look at that as a. Uh, Almost a service uh, to prevent human suffering uh, there uh, because you're right in what you say about us being better. And this is always I'll never forget. I I, I put something uh, there was a, a botched execution several years ago and someone right wing radio show per- person called me um, and wanted me because I tweeted something about it. And and you know, basically, you know, calling it just horrific uh, situation and, and calling for people to be investigated. And they, they called, wanted me to come on the air and talk about it. And so, OK, fine, I'll come on. And what they assumed was is that they, they assumed that I felt as though uh, the death penalty was always wrong. Um, and as I have explained here, and I understand that people disagree with me, I don't necessarily think that the death penalty is always wrong. I have, there are situations in the, that occur in this world where I, I think people should no longer be with us. And that, that's uh, my opinion on those things. They're, they they cr- commit horrific acts against people and against children specifically. And I, I'm all right with them no longer being amongst us. OK, but. If we are going to do that, and this was the point that I made on the show, is if we are going to hold ourselves up as the executioners of these people, then we have to be exponentially better than those people that we are putting to death. And if I told you right now that Joe Nathan James took a, a victim of his and slice carved up their arm 
limbs and sliced into their arms without anesthetic of any kind, just as they screamed and struggled against the restraints that he had put them in and then put them to death. You would say, oh, my God, what a horrible human being that guy is. That's what they did to that dude. All right. That's that. And somebody ought to be accountable for that. You know, because at that point, not only are we no better than Joe Nathan James, we're worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're worse than that, than, than what he did. I'm not saying of all people who have ever been executed or anything else. I'm saying for Joe Nathan James, he killed a woman, an innocent woman who had fled from him, and there's no disputing any of this, okay? Mm-hmm. But when we're judging on the, uh, the horror of the crimes, what occurred to Joe Nathan James was far more horrific than to her. And we can't allow that. That's what we can't allow. We can't allow a judgment of the people who are carrying out the death penalty in this state for anyone to even come close to saying, well, what they did to that dude was, I mean, hell, it was worse than what he did. You know, mm-hmm. we've reached a point yeah. then where we are <clears throat> off the charts. Mm-hmm. I, I get what you're saying. Um, I think um, there's a certain, I mean, you know, what he did was what he did was barbaric. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a level of barbarism to <clears throat> the government doing something to somebody. Sure. Because the government is supposed to represent something better. That does make it worse intrinsically. It just intrinsically mm-hmm. makes it worse because we're supposed to do better. We're supposed to know better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if I necessarily want to get into a uh, a pound for pound measurement of. No, 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 no. I'm, and I don't either. But yeah. but I will say, I think there's something uh, <clears throat> there's something really uh, disturbing about cutting on somebody where there's no anesthetic. Yeah. You know, yeah. just cutting on them, yeah. You know, while or, they're alive, or, and then then sedating them to the point to where they can no longer consent to whatever it is that you're doing uh, yeah. to them. You know, and yeah. and uh, you, you know, especially if there is no legal representation there, there's yeah. nobody there to oversee what's going on. If he's his own attorney, you you've just you know you've just sedated the only legal representation that mm-hmm. he has, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's just. At a point here with this, and I, you know, uh, editor at uh, at APR, Bill Britt, makes this uh, point a lot, which is, it just seems like it, it's we screw it up too much. You know, mm-hmm. we we screw mm-hmm. it up so much on everything. You know, where, whether it's uh, putting in the wrong people, you know, for the wrong crimes, uh, whether they're, they're, they're mental health issues so often in a lot of these folks, uh, they're, they're just, you know, we just do things that are so, so callous and, um, and, and it's, there's this false sense of revenge, uh, you know, that we, we seem to take, we seem to believe that people are taking some pleasure in. And I, I, why anybody thought that this is uh, something that, oh, well, he's paid for his crimes and the, uh, you know, and finally the victims can rest. No, that the victim's families aren't resting any easier from any of this. They're not getting any satisfaction from this. Yeah. This is punishment for what he did. 
And and that's not helping the victim's family. The victim, the victim of this crime, I guess it's okay to know that the guy's not out there still, you know, doing yeah. things. That that's certainly helpful to the community and to the victim's families. But it's it's bringing them no peace that this guy yeah. is being they put to that. death. They said as much. They said, yeah, that, you know, they, they, they his death actually was more unsettling for them. You know, just, uh, yeah. you know, they would have preferred that he had just been left to die in, in prison. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just I, I, I think it's such we have such a misguided notion of the whole thing. And and that's what bothers me the most is that uh, the people involved in this didn't seem to believe that Joe Nathan James was a human being anymore, mm-hmm. that they had the ultimate power over him and that they could do whatever in the hell that they wanted to do, that they were not going to be questioned by anybody, that they didn't care whether he screamed and struggled against the restraints, that they didn't care that they sedated him. So he couldn't, could no longer consent to whatever it was that they did to him for probably the first two hours of this before they finally sedated him and then did whatever in the hell they wanted to do to get the IV line into him. Mm -hmm. And, And I would almost bet you, I would almost, you know what, man, if I were a gambling man, I'd put a hundred dollars down and I am a gambling man, but let's just, you know, I don't know where I would lay this bet, but I would put a hundred dollars down (laughs) that they did all that because they didn't have anybody skilled enough to put the central line in. Mm-hmm. That's what I would bet. I would mm-hmm. bet that they didn't have another option. So instead of postponing this in the face of all of the other things that were going on around it with the family uh, being against it and all that, I bet you that that's the reason why they did that. Well, I don't I don't disagree with you. <clears throat> I sure hope. And, and Liz said that. Um, that. Um, she believes that the uh, the prison took some questionable actions even though she didn't share any specifics mm-hmm. with us uh, uh, during the podcast I think uh, I certainly hope that what happened during those three hours is thoroughly investigated mm-hmm. and, and and if it takes a lawsuit a civil lawsuit to do that then great yeah. but it well that's the only out. way it's going to be thoroughly yeah. investigated that's the yeah. only way well, um, I, then I hope then I hope they get slapped with several, so yeah. that there's a so that there is accountability and transparency, and we can hopefully make this a you know if we're going to have and I don't know that I don't know if you can really have a just system a death penalty system, uh, but if it's possible, that's what we ought to be aiming for every single time is true justice, not just yeah. vengeance. Yeah. Listen, there's a reason why we've gotten to to lethal injection, okay? Because mm-hmm. we we felt like that was the most humane way possible to to carry this out, and that should always be our goal in this. Because we have to, if we're going to continue to do the death, to have the death penalty as a punishment, we're going to have to establish ourselves, the executioners. Uh, of uh, of other humans as better uh, than than the people who are committing the crimes and you, you otherwise you there's no way to stand in judgment and right now Alabama's not they're, they're not they're not what ha- what happens every day in those prisons uh calls into question the the morals 
um, of the people who we have put in charge of this, yep. not least of which is Terry Rabin uh, that runs that prison over there that got run out of being a state trooper because he beat up two women. Mm. Um, mm. And, you know, and, and mm. it's been over here. And, you know, they, it was, you, you should read. The, there is a story that was, we, we did the first story on this at APR about his, his past, his checkered past with women and stuff. And then AL.com did another one and they quoted from some court cases there and, and quoted from a judge. Um, and and I, look, I've never seen quotes like this from a judge uh, and written down in which he called, he basically called him a criminal wow. thug. Um, and said that it was he had, that he had brought this lawsuit to try to get out of uh, of the responsibility for beating up two women uh, that he had, had taken money from criminals that he had I mean just I mean it was a whole long thing he he was put on a do not hire list um, with the state and oh, because wow. of his actions and. Then he got a job working up here at Limestone, of course, from one of his old army buddies or mm-hmm. military buddies. I should say army because they're military buddies. Um, and he gave him a, a lower level job working up there at that at, at that prison here. And he just rose up through the ranks uh, because nobody's paying attention in prison. I guess mm-hmm. you can do whatever the hell you want to. Uh, and so it's a perfect spot for mm-hmm. Terry Raven, the skirt measuring warden of Holman prison now. So, uh, I mean, it's just, uh, it, that's, and that's what I'm saying. It, it, you, until you get decent people running these things and you follow the laws and, um, and you remove the callousness out of this and we properly fund the prisons and do, I mean, you know, I, I, I've been telling people for the last two weeks about, you know, Beth Shelburne coming on here and telling us that the pe- the guy, the only person running a rehab program at Holman Prison or at uh, one of the Donaldson uh, is is an inmate is running the rehab because mm-hmm. all the other people quit. And so yeah. that's until you get things like that solved where we, we can't stand in any sort of judgment of other people. But. Uh, oh, and uh, I. I Quickly before we wrap up and uh, with the right wing of the week here, uh, Kay Ivy is back among the living. Um, she is. Uh, she had been had a couple of events where she was. She uh, welcomed uh, the governor of South Dakota. Uh, yeah, Nome. Governor Noam, um, I think is how you yeah. say her last name. N O E M. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so she's welcomed her last Friday, I believe it was. Uh, had um, uh, she didn't go to either the dinner or the meetings for the GOP over the weekend, and nobody really could tell you why that happened. Uh, but she was then on Tuesday, I think it was. Uh, she held held a little. There was some event at the Capitol, and she was on the steps taking photos with some people. Um, not out there very long, but she was out there, uh, mm-hmm. and then she welcomed the uh, the. Uh, somebody from uh, one of the other universities, South Alabama or somebody. I was a I was a administrator there. They had photos of her and the administrator meeting in her office at the at the Capitol. And so, you know, listen, I hope it's all. You know, we had Kyle Woodmire on last week to talk about his column yep. that he wrote about this. And um, now, I, I don't think that it is settling to the to the claims that a lot no, of people thought no. about. Uh, they still have not addressed a lot of this. And In fact, know. I would argue that 
not being on the scene for a week or, or a week or a week plus, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden we start seeing you is evidence that something was going on. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a report in um, uh, one of the, one of those things that Todd Stacy runs. Todd Stacy that does uh, the Capital Journal, and he has a couple of publications out there too. Uh, one, one of those things there was a report, which I'm certain came from the governor's office, uh, was that she had some some su- surgery on her intestines, which was deemed uh, quote unquote embarrassing. Um, Hmm. and so, um, she, so she had some, some surgery that she had to go in for, which again, people are going to find out you're the governor of the state. Okay. You Hmm. can't go to a place and have a medical procedure in which you go under anesthesia and have this surgery done without people Mm -hmm. finding out that you're at this place having surgery done, okay? Unless Mm -hmm. you're getting doctors or a team to come to your bedroom at your residence, okay? that People are going to find out that these things take place. So what you did over this, I guess, minor, relatively minor thing, uh, that's how they're painting it. And so, you know, even if that's the case, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt for this and say – if that's the case, it's a relatively minor surgery, then why in the hell didn't you just tell somebody she was having exactly. a minor procedure, for exactly. for God's sakes? And so you're not going to get into the nature of it, but it's a minor procedure. It has nothing to do, you know, they, the doctors expect that when she comes out of this, uh, it, it'll be over with. Get a, a brief, vague statement from her doctor saying, I've examined, you know, that, and all this, and be done with it. Exactly. Be done with the damn story. Instead mm-hmm. of creating this thing where people are calling over and over and over and over again, asking what the hell's going on mm-hmm. it just yeah, pretty straightforward yeah. yeah pretty straightforward this pr 101 basically yeah yeah <laughs> just tell people what's going on you don't have yeah. to tell them everything that's going on and give details especially if it's embarrassing but just tell people what the hell's happening with the governor i mean it yeah. is there you know it's the people's governor i mean just tell them jesus yeah. christ almighty what are we doing here guys <laughs> It's like a old redskin guy. <laughs> what are you doing out here, man? Come <laughs> on, man. Uh, all right. Uh, right wing nut. Yeah. Oh, uh, we got a good one. We got a good well, one. The uh, Was that the Lawrence County uh, GOP? Yes. Yeah, Lawrence their, County uh, GOP. With their uh, their uh, little meme that they put out there, or whatever that was, <laughs> meme or event announcement, whatever it was, that had embedded in the imagery um, three uh, hooded KKK people, yep. persons, you know, three members of the Ku Klux Klan, and and it just uh, you know you just kind of now I will listen. Admit, could have happened to anybody, David. Could have well, happened to anybody. I, I will admit that when I first looked at it, I didn't see it. I will admit that. Mm-hmm. But okay. I think that. Um, but I think where I really, where I really, um, where I really, I guess, find fault is that um, you know there should have been, I think, a much stronger repudiation of it, there should have been a much more profound sense of regret and 
you know, it shouldn't have been just sort of, uh, there was this sort of um, almost just kind of, not really casual, but just yeah. kind of these things happen. You know, surface kind of apology, yeah. you know, and, and I think these are opportunities for people to really, and, and, and should, you know, we, we, these are, these are opportunities to not sanitize history, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. to really, you know, to not assume that people understand, you know, especially younger people, you know, what the KKK really was, yeah. you know? Uh, so I, I, I find, I mean, it was a lackluster, to me, it was a it was a lacking, lackluster kind of apology. I'm glad they apologized. I'm glad they took it down, you know. Um, but it just it didn't have a lot of to me. It didn't have a lot of heft to it the way it should have had. Here's what I wonder. Okay, how is it? Out of all the millions and millions of GOP elephant images out there. How is it that that one landed so high up on your search history (laughs) (laughs) or up on your search? You know what I'm saying? Up on your search results, I should say, not your search history. Uh, Although I think maybe your search history may have played a role in why it landed so high on your search results. Uh, (laughs) You know, and why is it that such things only happen to Republicans? Yeah. You know, why is it the accidental racism is always on that side of the aisle? You know, and it's always accidental, right? Yeah, it's always. (laughs) Oh, who could have seen the (laughs) what? KKK, get out of here. What? I ended up at the birthday party for a former KKK member. Get out of here. Who Uh, could have seen that? What? I used a racial slur. I'm sorry if that offended anybody. (laughs) What? Why is it always, always, always on that side of the aisle? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a very valid question. Yeah, I mean, it very could. Yeah, I believe, didn't we just mention Lawrence County in the story? Well, oh yeah, where yep. two black yep. guys got arrested for marijuana that the cop smelled in the. <laughs> of tobacco in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's all makes, I'm asking. Kind of makes me think of a, of a, of a, uh, I don't, it's not an old saying, but it's a saying that, that I've heard, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, I would, I, and I'll say it this way. Uh, all Republicans aren't racist. Nah, oh, man, I was just about to say this. Oh, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, but go ahead. but it it certainly appears, and I'm talking about white racists, not not mm-hmm. other racists, but white racists. All all Republicans are not white racists, but it seems like the preponderance of white race right, white racists are Republicans. It does seem that way. It's preponderance though, are all. <laughs> Well, I'm going to I'm going to say, I mean, I've met some I've met some liberals who also, I think, qualified. Honestly, you think so? Really? Oh, yeah, I have. Man. I have. I have. Absolutely. I absolutely have. You know, or maybe or maybe more accurately, maybe not racist, but more white supremacist. But I know mm. some people yeah. kind of say that's such a thin line. You don't even need to worry about it. But 
But regardless, I've absolutely met some some white liberals that I think were white supremacists. Absolutely. But huh. but the preponderance of racist yeah. and white supremacists that I believe I have seen and witnessed and encountered through the years mm-hmm. have been Republicans or conservatives. I do believe that. I think that is. I um you think it's because I, I think honestly I do think this is a this is an interesting chicken egg kind of kind of thing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is it is it the policies that attract the racist, or is it that the simple mindedness that leads people to be a conservative uh, often then uh, boils things down to oh, there's a lot of crime among black people because black people are criminals. You know, uh, you know what I mean. Uh, is is or is that you know forgetting, of course, poverty and everything else that transcends the whole thing and and wipes away all of that, or the idiocy of saying the pigment in your skin. You know, is you know somehow or another affects your brain and makes you be more uh, criminal or whatever. Uh, you know, it's just or history. You know, um, it just you know. So I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer yeah. to that really. I, I think it. You know, I would attribute it less to party um, over time. I think you have to attribute it less to party and more to ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, I mean, there was a time when, you know, of course, we're going back well over 100 years when the Republican Party was the party of abolition and was, you know, so uh, and in fact, um, there's a whole generation of black people, most many of whom have passed on, including my father, who were Republicans. My father was a Republican. Yeah. Uh, You know, but um and that's because they you know uh you know it's because they you know the legacy of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick right. Douglass and and um you know a party that was overtly an abolitionist party but as that began to change black people began to change yeah. you know some people think that that Martin Luther King Jr was a republican they assumed that because his father was a Republican. Mm-hmm. But in fact, I don't know that King was affiliated with any political party. I think he was probably apolitical. Yeah. But we know that he very closely aligned with the Democrats yeah. of the 1960s because they were the party of civil rights. Right. You know, so I think um, I think it's more about ideology than it is about. I think it's more about conservative or liberal than it is about party. Uh, but certainly today's Republican Party is so entrenched with mm-hmm. conservatism as we as we have come to know it that I think uh, you, you kind of have that natural sort of flow into the kind of thinking that I think lends itself more to uh, leans not in every instance, thank God, but but in far too many, you know, to more towards racism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 uh, I agree, and I uh, also think that uh, um, there have been numerous times in which the the party could have moved itself away from a lot of that. It would mm-hmm. have been very easy to do so, and yep. instead they chose an easier pathway to votes. Um, and, uh, and that has, to me, I, you know, I think so. So I think there's been kind of a natural, uh, welcoming, 
uh, amongst conservatives and Republicans uh, of of a lot of the, of racist ideals, and mm-hmm. um, and then I also believe that in certain times when they had the opportunity to 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 push them away and or to simply say this is not right, this is not right, right what we're talking about. We know it's not right. I mean, we know people like, for example, Mitch McConnell. Uh, or uh, Richard Shelby, we we know that they know that this, these things are are not right, and that um, um, but they have refused to to say so, and and that um, you know for the betterment of the party uh, in terms of holding office, not for the betterment of the people of the party necessarily, right. um, and and I think that that has allowed it to uh, to continue to flourish within that party and. Um, and it's just it's shameful, really. It is. It's uh, it's low hanging fruit for 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 a lot of those people over there. And I guess, you know, and, and but on the other hand, I think when you elect a lot of idiots like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and uh, Lauren Boebert, then you have to have low hanging fruit for them to pick because God knows they're not climbing that tree, uh, you know. So. All right. I told you all, man, it's a good show. So. um yeah, you know, if we do say so ourselves, and we we do, um, uh, but uh, our, our thanks to to Liz Brunig for coming on. Oh, we will yeah, we'll true. we'll put a link to that to that story up, and uh, you know we'll let you know if we hear anything else uh, from her, and uh, follow up on on any of this stuff with Joe Nathan James and what happens uh, as we go down the road with this. But for now, that's it for us. Until next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace.